Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're in a series now out of Ephesians chapter 1. We, we did one series out of it. Here's another little series called Discovering Your Spiritual Portfolio. And if you're not uh, familiar with portfolio, it means, uh, you know, I talked last week about how I used to be an art major before God called me to preach, and I have an art portfolio. It, it's, a, it's like this kind of uh, case like that, and it's got all the art that work that I've ever done, okay? All right, that's my art portfolio. But you and I, when we got saved, have a spiritual portfolio. There's, there's a, um, a show on TV um, called uh, Shark Tank. Anybody ever seen that before? And uh, Shark Tank is about some guys and uh, ladies there who have people come up before them and they say, hey, look, I've come up with an idea. I would like to start a business, but I can't start a business unless you invest in it. And so they try to sell these people, and these guys got a lot of money, try to sell these people on their product. This is what I want to do. Will you invest in me? Do you believe in me? Will you invest in me? Well, did you know that the Bible tells us we, when we get saved, we have three investors. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy, Holy Spirit. And they have put everything in our spiritual uh, portfolio. And so let me show you what we looked at last week. We talked about God the Father's investment in us. We said there's the investment of election. We said that's just one of those Bible mysteries we don't understand. We will never understand it here on earth. And don't let anybody tell you they figured that out because you can't figure it out. God says He chose us before the foundation of the world to be saved. And, you know, that's just one of those mysteries, okay? Then, the second thing he invested in us is adoption. Um, he did this. Uh, we're, we're born into God's kingdom, but we're also called adopted. This gives us the legal right to draw upon all of our inheritance. A kid who's 11 years old, you're not going to give him multi, multi, multi millions of dollars because he would do something stupid with it, okay? You wait till they're adults. Well, not only are we born into God's kingdom, but God already adopts us into His kingdom so we can start... Drawing from our inheritance. Then we said there's the invest, investment of acceptance. We are not worthy. God made us acceptable through Christ. The Bible says we are accepted in the beloved. Remember, we're all born in Adam, but when we get born again, we are in Christ. Christ's righteousness is in front of us and a holy God, and I am accepted in the beloved. In Christ is a phrase often repeated in the book in the book of Ephesians. Now, we talked about God the Father's investment in us. Today, we want to be amazed at God the Son's investment in us. Let's take a look at Ephesians 1, 7 through 12 in the box there. And this is what God the Son's invested in us. Look at this. In Him, that's Jesus, we have redemption through His blood. Look at these things He's done for us. We have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. He made known to us the mystery of His will, according to His kind intention, which He purposed in Him with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of times, that is the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth. 
In Him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to His purpose, who works all things after the counsel of His will, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of His glory. I know what you're saying when you read that. My goodness, what all is that about? Okay, well, I'm going to tell you what all that's about. And you're going to walk out of here saying, I know what that's all about. Okay, at least uh, in, in some way. Now, God the Son has made four different investments in us, in our spiritual portfolio. Here's the first thing, the investment of redemption. The investment of redemption. Look at Ephesians 1, 7 there. I have it for you. In Him we have redemption through His blood. I looked up the word redemption, and here's what it means. The word redemption means to purchase and set free by paying a price. Listen to that again. Redemption means to purchase and set free by paying a price. Back in the time when Paul wrote this uh, uh, epistle to the Ephesians, there were over 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire. And uh, they were bought and sold like commodity, just like you would buy cattle or you would buy sheep or goats. That's the way they were looked upon as just subhuman people. But every now and then you would have someone who had a very kind heart who did not want to see them in slavery. And so what they would do, they would go to the auction market and they would buy a slave and as soon as they bought them, they would say, you're free. And the slave could literally go free. He would have the standing now of someone who's free. He went from a slave to freedom because he was redeemed. He was purchased by price to set us free. I think about, it would be in our understanding in America, it would be like somebody from up north who you know, was against slavery down south, and so he just did not like this, and so he went down there, bought a slave down there, brought him back, up north and set them free. That's what uh, redemption is. And that is exactly, you can see this so clearly, what God did for us in His kindness. He set us free from the slavery of sin, death, and hell. Look at um, Titus 3, 3 through 7. Once we too were foolish and disobedient, we were misled by others and became, keyword, slaves to many wicked desires and evil pleasures. Our lives were full of evil and envy. We hated others and they hated us. But then, I like that, God our Savior showed us His kindness and love. He saved us not because of the good things we did, but because of His mercy. He washed away our sins and gave us a new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us because of what Jesus Christ, our Savior, did. He declared us, look at this, He declared us not guilty because of His great kindness, and now we know that we will inherit eternal life. Now, think about this. Uh, in order to buy a slave in the, old, in the uh, Roman life, they would give them uh, a Roman coin and buy the slave, and then... In America, it would be the the dollar that bought the slave. But listen to this. What bought our redemption? Look at 1 Peter 1, 18 through 19. For you know 
that it was not with perishable things such as silver and gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers. But with what? With the precious blood of Christ. What were you bought with? The death of Jesus Christ. The slaughter of Jesus Christ on the cross paid for your sins. My sins, if you're saved, it paid, it paid for them. Now, what did God set us free from? All right? So he, he redeemed us. He purchased us for a price. Set us free. Set us free from what? Well, He set us free from the law, first of all. Um, look at Galatians 5 verse 1. So Christ has really set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. What does that mean? You know, when I first got right with God, I thought the law was talking about 55 mile an hour kind of law. <laughs> you know, like the local civil law. The law just means the commandments, uh, the moral commandments of God. Uh, specifically at that time, he's talking about the Old Testament. The New Testament wasn't written then. And so what had happened was people, the Jews had gotten to where they were relying upon trying to keep the Ten Commandments, trying to be a good person, and they could never measure up. And the Bible teaches us that's the reason God gave us the law, not so we can be saved by it, but that it shows us we can't do, earn it on our own. But still, here's what people were doing. The, uh, the Galatians, who had been set free from the law, you know what they started doing? They were living for Christ, and all of a sudden they started depending upon their own strength, and they thought... Okay, I'm saved by faith, great, but I've got to keep working hard, working hard to stay saved or to earn God's favor. And you know what God says? When Jesus Christ died, He set you free from having to keep the law. Listen, I don't keep God's commandments and moral principles because I'm trying to earn His favor. I keep God's commandments and moral principles because He saved me and I stand amazed at the presence of Jesus and Nazarene. And it comes out of my heart. To, we've been studying cults on uh, Sunday nights. And one of the saddest things in the world, it, for me, is to drive by a church of one of those cults. Uh, I remember there was a Jehovah's Witness cult that I, uh, church that I drove by every day. And I mean, it seemed like every night those folks were at church. Every single night. You know what they're trying to do? They're trying to earn their way to heaven. I mean, they were just out there all the time. It's like, how do they have a life? Um, the Mormons, when I'm driving down the street and you see two young men on the bicycle, and they usually have white shirts, and they go door to door, and they spend two years of their life going around trying to convert people into Mormonism. And they're in bondage, spiritual bondage, because they think, if I don't do this, I will not make it to heaven. And when Jesus died, He fulfilled the law and set us free from having to keep it in order to go to heaven. Alright? So, He set us free from the law. Because the Bible says you can never keep the law. Alright, here's the next thing He did. He set us free from our sin. He set us free from our sin. Look at what the Bible says in Romans 6, 1-7, 11, 7-18, and 22. Y'all got that? <laughs> Alright. Well then... Um, 
well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more kindness and forgiveness? That is, well, God will forgive us for every sin. Why don't we just keep sinning because God's going to forgive us anyway? And then he says, of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. For when we die with Christ and we're set free from the power of sin, so you should consider yourselves dead to sin and able to live for the glory of God through Jesus Christ. I want you to underline that part. That just stuck out to me. So you could consider your, you should consider yourselves, that's verse 11, you should consider yourselves dead to sin and now you're able to live for the glory of God through Christ Jesus. Verse 17, thank God. <laughs> Once you were slaves of sin, but now you have obeyed with all your heart the new teaching God has given you, that is the gospel. Now you are free from sin, your old master, and you have become slaves to your new master, righteousness. But now you are free from the power of sin and become slaves of God. Now what in the world does that all mean? Listen, when you got saved, whether you realize it or not, the Bible says this, that even before we're saved, we live in continual sin. The Bible says in the book of Isaiah that even the good that we do is like sin in God's eyes. Even the good that you do. So before you're saved, you live in sin. You are a sinner. You practice sin and you live in it. And Jesus said the moment that you get saved, now you have the capacity to choose every time to obey God. Am I saying that we are going to be sinless? Absolutely not. I can prove that to you every single day. But you know what? Every day you and I wake up, if we're saved, we have the Holy Spirit within us. And if we wanted to, we could choose to obey God every time, if we wanted to. We don't always do that. But now, you see, we're set free from that penalty of sin. We're even set free from the power of sin. And the more we mature in Jesus Christ, the more power we have over sin. All right, here's another thing. We're set free from the world. He says it's free from the world. Look at what the Bible says in Galatians 1.4. He died for our sins just as God our Father planned in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. This evil world in which we live. Hey, have y'all figured out this is an evil world? <laughs> have you figured out it's getting more and more evil? Because sin is kind of like a cancer. It just spreads. And uh, there was a time where God had to kill off the entire human race except Noah because the world had gotten so polluted and infected with sin, it was just destroying itself. And so God had to judge them and save Noah through it. And God's doing the same thing again. This world's getting more and more evil. The cancer is spreading more and more and faster than ever. And the Bible says that we, no matter what's going on around us, don't have to live like the world anymore. We don't have to do the things that they do. We don't have to see the things that they see. We don't have to talk the way that they talked. We live in an evil world. It's kind of like a river. It's like a river of sin. You ever been in a, you know, you're, when you're in a lake... The water's kind of still, or if it's kind of waving a little bit, but it's not going to knock you over like in, in the ocean. 
But uh, we went, took the grandkids down to, Gail, where was it? Where's Gail? What's that place we went to, that last river? What's it called? You remember where that was? Had all the big stones all the way around it. Yeah, I can't remember what, what it was. I should have I wrote that down. <laughs> but anyway, listen to this. I got in that river just a little bit, and all of a sudden I felt that pressure. I felt that pressure of that river. It wasn't like a lake. I got pressure pushing me. I got pressure pushing me. And when you and I get saved, we realize there's a pressure pushing against us to say, you don't need to live for Jesus. Why don't you go out and drink like they do? Why don't you go out and have immoral relationships like the world does? Why don't you watch some wicked movie? Why don't you listen to some wicked music on TV? Why don't you hang out with people who are kind of cool and you have this pressure that's coming against you? And what God says, when you get saved, you now have the ability to go against the flow if you want to. He set us free against the world. Before, we are just being conformed to the world. We're just walking right along with the world. But now when we get saved, we have the capacity now to turn around and walk and be different from the world. All right? Then uh, he set us free from the devil. Set us free from the devil. Look at what the Bible says in Colossians 1.13. For he has rescued us from the one who rules in the kingdom of darkness... And He has brought us into the kingdom of His dear Son. I want you to think about this. We think about uh, in America, we, we are in a constitutional republic. Uh, that's kind of our um, system of government. Over in England, you know, they have a king over there. And like I said, even though he lets the prime minister kind of do all the major kind of running of things, he technically is the head of a kingdom. And it's not just there in Great Britain. There's different pockets of the English Empire all over the world. I think, I, if I'm not mistaken, I heard last night that there are over 2 billion people that he's actually king over in the domains of, of Great Britain. And uh, did you know that today you are in a kingdom? You are in a kingdom, a spiritual kingdom, whether you realize it or not. And there's only two kingdoms. The kingdom of darkness, that is the kingdom of Satan, the kingdom of sin, or if you get saved, you will be transferred into the kingdom of light, of God's dear Son. So everybody here is in one or two kingdoms. Where are you? He set us free from the devil. Now, real quick, got a cruise. The investment of exoneration. The investment of exoneration. All right, Ephesians 1, 7. In Him we have redemption through His blood. Here it is. <clears throat> the forgiveness of our trespasses. The, uh, the word exoneration, we don't use that a lot, but the word exoneration means this. <clears throat> it means to be totally cleared of charges. Totally cleared of charges. Um. I saw a movie a few years ago of, about the Olympic Park bombing in 1996. Do you remember that? They had the Olympics in Atlanta, and all the people were watching this concert, and all of a sudden, boom, you know, and the stage shakes and everything. And it killed a bunch of people. It had nails in the bomb, and a lot of people were, were injured. And there was this guy, I saw the movie, this was probably two or three years ago, named Richard Jewell. Richard Jewell was a man who was working around there, and he actually happened to see this package underneath like this bench, 
And he realized this has got to be a bomb. So he began running around people, get out of here, get out of here, get out of here. here. Anyway, the bomb went off. He saved, no, no telling how many lies about what he did. But you know what? <clears throat> the FBI began to think, hmm, they didn't have a suspect. Maybe he kind of planted at himself he's trying to be the hero. And so he went from a hero one day to a zero the next day, right? Everybody was looking at him, oh, I bet he did it, I bet he did it. And all the n- newspapers, you know how, you know, fake news, they're all going around saying, oh, he did it, he did it, I bet he did it. And so, you know, here he is, just a hero, and now he is under this cloud of suspicion so heavily. Uh, we found out later on he wasn't the one who, who uh, planted the bomb, um, he wasn't the one who planted a bomb. It was a guy by the name of Eric Rudolph. And once that was all solved, listen to this, Richard Jewell was exonerated, cleared of all charges. But there is a difference there. Richard Jewell was innocent the whole time. You know what God teaches us? We were guilty. We deserved death and hell. And even though we deserved death and hell, you know what Jesus did? He exonerated us. He cleared us of all charges. God can hold nothing against us anymore. Look what the Bible says in Psalm 103, verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far as He removed our transgressions from us. John 1, 29, the next day John the Baptist saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I wrote this down, listen to this. The law cannot accuse us anymore. Because we're declared not guilty. Satan has not a real accusation against us anymore. We are declared not guilty and had our sins carried away. You know what it means when he forgave us? The, The word forgiveness there means he carried it away. And he carried away infinitely away on the cross. So here's the next thing. Not only the investment of redemption, he bought us so he could set us free from those things. Not only the investment of exonerating us, we were guilty, but He still cleared every bit of our debt at the cross. But the investment of revelation, He he tells us a secret. Hey, you ever had someone come up to you and say, I got a secret I want to tell you? Whenever you hear hear that, I got a secret I want to tell you, you kind of lean in, don't you, right? Okay, and usually that person has bad breath. Let me tell you, I got a secret. And you get up to them and they go, I got a secret for you. <laughs> but anyway, okay, so if you ever want to listen to a secret, that'll get your attention. Uh, my dad used to do this. Uh, um, he, he had all these moles and stuff on him, which I'm starting to get. And it was all over his back, all over his arm, these moles and stuff. And dad would go up to somebody and says, I have something I'd like to share with you. And they go, what? That's some of these moles. <laughs> so, but anyway, now listen. People like a secret, do they not? Man, I got a secret for it. We just kind of lean in. Guess what Jesus did? Jesus is telling us a secret right here. He calls it the word mystery. Look at this Ephesians 1 8 through 10, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. Look at this. You can underline this if I hadn't done it on your sheet. He made known to us the mystery of His will according to His kind intention which He purposed in Him 
with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heaven and on earth. So he says, listen, when you got saved, he, he told you a mystery. And he's explaining it more right here. Now, the word mystery here does not mean Agatha Christie kind of mystery. I love those stories. I love mysteries. But that's not the kind of mystery here. The mystery here is this. Only saved people, God only reveals it to saved people. It's something that if God didn't tell you, you'd never discover it on your own. Jesus whispers it in your ear when you get saved, and He tells you, there's something I did for you, and it is a great mystery uh, to the human mind, but to the saved, He lets us know what it is. He says that one of these days, the fullness of time, that is when He returns on earth, and He pulls together everything, things in the heavens and on the earth, He will do, watch this, this next thing. The investment of demonstration. Now look at this. Ephesians 1, 11 through 12. In Him we have also obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to His purpose, who works all things after the counsel of His will, to the end, here's the mystery, that we who were the first to hope in Christ, that is, get saved, would be to the praise of His glory. Now, hold on just a minute. Let me just camp out on that just a second. When it says we have obtained an inheritance, the Greek word also could have the idea that we were made an inheritance. We got an inheritance from Jesus. Salvation, blessings for all of eternity. But guess what? Jesus got an, uh, um, Jesus got an inheritance through us. We are, his, we are His bride. God made us... Here's the mystery. One day, God made, us, I mean, God made us rich so that He might display His riches. I wrote this down. It is a secret now that we are truly rich, that is spiritual. But one day, judgment day comes, we will be put on as display as the rich children of God. The lost world will marvel at all that God did for us in Christ. When I was in high school, there was a case when you walked in. It's usually right when you walk into a high school or something like that, and you see this case of all these different trophies. And, and you look at it, oh man, we were, we were state championships then. You know, we were state champions then, and look, we've won it in basketball and volleyball. Look at all these wins and awards. And you know what? There was a song written a few years ago about us as Christians called Trophies of Grace. All right, look at these words here, then we'll close. We were dead in our sins, hopelessly bound within. But the one who created us brought us to life again. Our deliverance was won by the blood of his son who was crucified. And though it's hard to believe... Our God could receive no greater prize. We are trophies of grace, perfectly placed in the body, bought with a price, the supreme sacrifice of our Lord. We were wooed by His Spirit. We were won by His love, exalted with Him to a heavenly place. We are trophies of grace. Let us live unto Him, because of that, <laughs> let us live unto Him, trusting His strength alone. 
representing our Lord in this world as we make Him known. And like trophies displayed, our lives will convey what His love will do and we will not be ashamed to lift up His name and declare His truth. Let's bow for a word of prayer.